0: Well, I'm thrilled to continue in the sermons about the parables. They're so full of richness. And today, like Sarah talked about, we are digging into the parable of the wheat and the weeds. That's in Matthew 13, beginning in verse 24. Listen now for a word from God. You put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, an enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, no, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples approached him, saying, explain the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of age, and the reapers are angels." Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causers of sin and evildoers, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Let anyone with ears listen." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, be to God. God. Please join me in prayer. Good and gracious God, meet us here today, right where we need you. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, when I was growing up, probably up until I went to seminary, I always told people that my favorite book of the Bible was Matthew. See, when I was growing up, I read the Bible solely for the purpose of understanding what it meant to be a good Christian. And Matthew is full of advice for how to live as a follower of Jesus. I used to put little post-it notes on the pages because I was afraid of writing in the Bible, and only the ones that gave good life advice that I could return to. And so if you were to look at that Bible, in that little book of Matthew, it is just full of colorful Post-it notes. And so while I still really love the Gospel of Matthew, it seems a bit ironic, now that I know a little bit more about it, based on where I'm standing today as a church leader. Despite what the name may suggest, Matthew is actually written by an unknown author, very likely in the year 70 CE it was written during a time where the resistance existed, for lack of a better term, against Roman imperial imperial power and control by the synagogue, resistance against what was happening, the church. And so now, despite my husband's best efforts, I haven't actually seen all of the Star Wars movies, but we all know that whether it's Star Wars or Marvel or Harry Potter, the resistance is usually understood as the good guys fighting against some unjust system or person. And if you read Matthew closely, you'll see that the resisting resistance is working against the status quo set by religious leaders in the work of the synagogue. When we look back at our text, we're told by the landowners that the weed must grow with the wheat from the time they were planted until the harvest. I bet, like me, your mind automatically started to decide who the good and who the bad are in our lives. Who are the wheat? Who are the weeds? And no matter what came to mind for you, the reality is that the good and the bad will live together until the end of time, when God's reign is then perfected. This is a commentary about our world. And you don't have to look far to see the tension between good and evil in the world. But we also have to remember that unfortunately, the text is written to religious communities and explained to the disciples who still didn't fully understand Jesus's wisdom. So the question is not whether there is good and bad in our own faith community, But there is, and rather, how do we live together in it? We as a larger church, the Big C Church, have over 30,000 denominations. And we are still discussing whether we can actually live together as a community with certain people as a part of it, breaking apart even further with every disagreement. And now let me try to paint a picture. When I go to the grocery store, I can get a craving for a simple addition to a meal and go to the frozen section and grab a bag of chicken. In grabbing that bag of chicken, what I may not have known was that the chickens used to make this bag, they were living their entire lives in horrible conditions, fed food that had little nutrients. Not only that, but because of the mass production, the farmer who raises the chickens in a happy environment with healthy food options, they struggle to compete with the cheap prices of the other brands, and they have a difficult time making ends meet. I may be negatively affecting the farmer and their family and perpetuating the horrible treatment of animals, all because I wanted some simple chicken nuggets. When we think about every little choice like that, it's so difficult to know whether our own decisions can be marked as good or bad. Going to the store and buying chicken isn't something we'd usually put in the bad category. And then what about the employee who has to make a decision that helps the community, the company, and therefore all of the families connected to it? when it means turning a blind eye to some questionable practices. Or maybe a teacher who chooses a teaching style that some of the kids won't respond to. I bring up all of these examples, not to overwhelm you and to make you feel hopeless, but to point out the complexity of living in a world that is full of so much good and so much bad at the same time. If our own individual decisions are difficult to decipher, how much more difficult is it to decide that an entire human being is good or bad based on some arbitrary note? We as Christians like to try to figure out who belongs and who doesn't. We're so preoccupied with who we let in and who is out Who is accepted by God and who must change or think differently in order to fit? We think it's our job to draw lines. The servants in the passage, they're confident that they can settle the problem of who is in and who is out by pulling out the weeds. But in doing so, the good is uprooted as well. There are extremes and less extremes of the ways that we do this. The first is a way that a lot of non-Christians assume all Christians are, because it's the loudest group. It's picketing at an abortion clinic, outside of a concert, at a pride parade, people who stand with signs condemning others to hell. And less, less extreme, but equally damaging, is spreading quiet rumors about a church member who thinks differently than you think a Christian should. And this is why it's so important to study scripture. Not only just read it, but really study it. Sometimes something that looks so obvious at first glance changes when we learn something about the historical context, or we compare it to another part of scripture. But it's also important not to become arrogant about our faith and assume that we have all the right answers. In order to become a candidate for ordination in the PCUSA, which Dr. McDonald will also know very well, you have to go through a pretty rigorous training and examination process. At least three years of a master's in divinity program, studying the ins and outs of scripture, theology, church history, language, and a lot more. And then you have to actually prove that you've learned something by taking a Bible content exam, as well as three different written exams. You would think that after all of that training, some things about how we practice faith and who is in and who is out would be very clear. But even with all of that study and the testing, theological perspectives can vary greatly from pastor to pastor. It can be so frustrating not to have all the right answers. And Jesus talking in parables like this, even this one that has an explanation portion, which not all parables do, it shows that we were never intended to understand God perfectly. There is a divine and holy mystery that we are encouraged to constantly seek through the reading of Scripture and being open to the possibility that no matter our age or how long we've spent studying, God can continue to reveal new truths to us. So if we then turn our focus towards the explanation portion of the parable, it sounds harsh. It's not something we often talk about in the Presbyterian Church. Talk of fiery furnaces and weeping, gnashing of teeth. We tend to panic as we assess whether that's in the future for us or for somebody that we love. But I would say that this is actually where we find the hope. The separation of the harvest, the weeds from the wheat, occurs at the end of time, and it is God who does the separating. God is the one who is chosen to take on the burden that seems so overwhelming to us as humans who are trying our best to love God and to love others the best way that we know how. This is good news to us because it means that we don't have to decide who is in and who is out. It isn't up to us to separate the weeds from the wheat. Instead, it's up to us to live in a world where both exist. Patrick J. Wilson, a preacher and theologian, said this, Jesus did not say that the kingdom was like a rock, fixed and solid and firm and unchanging. Jesus did not say that the kingdom was like a giant machine that you put some things in and you get some things out, and what you get out depends on what you put in. He said, it was like an enormous tree that grows out of a tiny seed. A tree that grows so enormous that all of the birds of the air can come and find shelter in its branches, even strange little ducks like you and me. He said that God was like the housewife who puts a smidgen of yeast in the three measures of flour, and the yeast yields life into the whole batch of dough. That is the way the kingdom is, growing from the very beginning into all that God has created. From the foundation of the world the very first moment of creation it is the kingdom that has been on god's mind and god is infinitely patient as it grows our personal walks of faith and our collective practices of faith are continually moving towards this reign of god that god intends god is patient with us is gracious with us when we make mistakes and loves us deeply in the process. During that time, it's not our job to decide who is in and who is out. Instead, we must live in a state of mind such that everyone belongs to God, and not only belongs to God, but is here on earth for God's holy purpose. God's empire is life-bringing. So we are free to live a life in a way that encourages life rather than condemnation. We continue to study scripture and listen to God's spirit move in and around us in the world. And in doing so, we can find closeness to God. And we can learn from the mistakes of Christ followers who have come before us as to live in a world where God's love is so much more tangible than hatred. The very first sin in the Garden of Eden is the human desire to be our own gods. What a burden that we've placed on ourselves. God offers a life so different than that because God is responsible for the fate of the world, not us. We are invited to a life of love. Let us continue journeying together with openness and willingness to be changed in order to reveal to one another the way that God is revealing that love through each one of us. And in the end, I hope that through an incredible power of love that I don't fully understand, that all of God's children will be the righteous, shining like the sun in the kingdom of the heavenly father.